hey everyone back again today i want to talk about the differences between thomas hobbes and john locke who have a lot in common that is the right of a social contract without using that term they talk about sovereignty they talk about the state of nature and the state of war they are both belong to that tradition of so-called classic liberals but they are extremely different and i'm going to tell you how but before doing that hi i'm david i explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you so if you're new here you can like share subscribe you see videos every release every week sometimes twice a week isn't that fun if you found this on youtube you're going to be able to find it as just a podcast on pretty much any podcast platform or if you found this as a podcast you can be able to find it on youtube where there's a video wouldn't that be fun you can follow me on other things links in the description help me out by doing all those things i just mentioned liking sharing subscribing telling your friends or you can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but no pressure to do that. So yeah, let's jump into the differences between Thomas Hobbes, specifically Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, and John Locke's Treatises of Government, really specifically the Second Treatise of Government. So how I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna present Thomas Hobbes, then I'm gonna present John Locke, and then you're gonna tell me whose side you're on. Who do you agree with? Do you think that Locke is really right? Do you think? Hobbes right? Neither? Both? Somehow? I'd love to know what you have to say, but please lay it out in the comments and then everyone can read my favorite one. I'll pin it and then everyone will see it first. How amazing will that be? That'll be so amazing. Yeah. Let us start with Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. Now, I'm just going to give you the points that are similar between both Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan and John Locke's Second Treatise of Government. If you want more, I'm doing a series covering them now. So you can go and find my episodes specifically on their texts and you will learn everything you want to learn about it. But for now, I'm just highlighting the points on topics that they actually discuss. So to begin with Thomas Hobbes, let's talk about his description of the state of nature or the state of war. Where for Thomas Hobbes, humans, before they live in large organized states under what he calls a commonwealth within a commonwealth under a sovereign that is a ruler of some sort thomas hobbes says that before that people live in the state of nature the state of war the state of war is a state in which everybody is in conflict with everybody else all the time it's a point in which people are just living totally on their own or in small communities where there's no rule of law to actually tell people whether they're doing anything right or wrong and people just essentially fight for their own lives they live in a perpetual chaos where the only real rules are the rule for self-preservation and avoiding harm now he says that this is a problem because although people have unlimited liberty in that setting although people are committed to only themselves which might on paper seem like a good thing Thomas Hobbes suggests that this actually produces a lot of anxiety and fear. So while people are totally free, if they are living in that kind of setting, they are not free to do everything that they actually want to because they're scared of what might happen. They're scared if they'll get attacked by someone, you know, or, or to steal something from them or anything like that. And so what happens is, for Hobbes, people recognize that that is no way to live. And in so, in response, they choose to organize through their own consent into a commonwealth that will be ruled by a single ruler or many rulers or democratic 
democratically elected rulers, and so on. And this will allow people to actually exist in safety and in peace. Now, in order to do so, they have to give up some of their liberties. They have to acknowledge that they can't just do whatever they want as they could in the state of nature. Under this system, as soon as they've entered into a society, they have to make some concessions. They have to be willing to get rid of some of their liberties in favor of the better overall good. Now, for him, this is like an, an absolute eventuality for all people because all people for him are rational enough to realize it is better to live in a society than to live out on your own in the woods. That's a very hard way to live, at least for him, he believes so. But he goes so far as to say that people not only have to consent to living in a society, but they have to give all of their power into the hands of the sovereign who's going to rule over them. And this sets up a kind of special dynamic between the sovereign, however it looks, monarch, oligarch, or democratically elected ruler, whatever. There's a special bond created between that sovereign and the people where the people put all their trust in the sovereign to make sure that the people live in peace, they're free from outside threats, and that the rule of law is upheld. Now the problem though, at least I'm calling it a problem, is that for Hobbes, once that's been set up, there's no room at all to oppose the sovereign, to oppose the leader, because people have consented to their authority. This person, this sovereign that is existing over this commonwealth is this kind of leviathan type figure who's been created to watch over the land that is through the people's consent and therefore can act any way they deem fit because their very actions should then be in line with what the people want. So they should be able to do whatever they want. So the sovereign will make laws and to do so they will they have to be above everybody else. They kind of transcend the social body to be a ruler, to make laws that people need to follow. And so Hobbes is very clear that once this sovereign has been established, there is no going back. That is, you cannot oppose this sovereign. The sovereign would have to completely disregard their duties, like failing to protect the people, to provide security. Like they would have to go to extreme lengths to justify overthrowing them, which Hobbes is not a fan of because Hobbes is very clear. Once they've come into power, that's it. You can't kick them out. So now let's consider John Locke's views of the Commonwealth and of sovereign power. And like with Hobbes, we're going to start with the state of nature, where with Hobbes, the state of nature was this place of pure chaos and anarchy and violence. John Locke has a different perspective. Instead, John Locke thinks that within nature, humans are actually geared towards peace, tranquility, cooperation, because he says that it is within our nature to want to work with others, to not inflict harm on others, because we know that if we don't inflict harm on others, likely no one will inflict harm on us. Where John Locke believes that people are guided by the good, to act good, that is not to infringe on anyone's bodily rights, their property rights, or anything like that. And this will be relevant in how he imagines the shift into sovereignty. But he does see some problems with it because if you're just listening you might be like well why does he imagine that people would want to join a society or commonwealth at all well they do because it maximizes and optimizes exactly what nature has to offer 
where within nature people are free, totally free, like in the way that Hobbes says, except Hobbes associates it with a lot of negativity and chaos. John Locke is like, you know, there's still going to be threats. You know, these threats are going to be bigger than just other people. Like you got to deal with bears, deal with a temperate climate. You have to deal with possible human enemies. These are all real threats. And he's like, it would be so much easier for us to deal with these things if we cooperated and like divided up these responsibilities of making sure that, you know, we are protected from outside threats, that we have shelter and everything like that. There can be a kind of division of labor. And when people realize this, they then flock towards having community settings or large social arrangements where these kinds of tasks can be divided and really can be optimized for everybody so that people give up some of their liberties for Locke to enjoy more liberties afforded to them by living in a society, very much like Hobbes. Except the difference is that for Locke, it's not about leaving pure chaos and anarchy. It's about recognizing what is true in nature because Locke is like very, also a religious person, was very much committed to the idea that God, if God exists, God would not have created a world of chaos. The natural world has to still have laws and be ordered as per God's commandments, which is weird that Hobbes doesn't also commit to that idea because if there's a God, you'd think. But in any case, Locke believes that the world is good, people are good, but they can be better if they join into a society of people working together. But in order for this society to work, it may not as Hobbes says, it may not just turn into sovereign rule or into a kind of monarchy where there's just one person with all of this power. John Locke doesn't like that at all. Instead, what should unite people under or within a commonwealth for John Locke is a mutual acknowledgement about their own liberties and how they are all trying to maximize each other's liberties within that social arrangement which has a material grounding for Locke within one's ability to actually work, to perform work on the earth. For Locke, in order to actually attain a kind of individuality and a stake in the world, demands that you put work into that world to till the soil, to demarcate off a, a crop of land that you can work on, that you can you know, grow stuff from, that you could then share or sell to the community of other people doing their own things, and people will live in harmony in that way. So for Locke, it still mirrors nature. It's about leaving people be, but with a minimal kind of governmental control just to protect them from the outside risks, from other possible threats, be they weather threats or beasts, like bears, they're scary. <laughs> You have to protect people from these things. Government will just work in that way to keep people safe. And people must embrace and acquire their own individual identity by the work that they conduct in that world. So this means that there are gonna be rulers. For John Locke, it would be like a representative government would be probably the best way to do it, like a parliamentary system maybe. You know, a, a Republican system. And we see that the Thomas Jefferson was inspired by Locke's ideas. Other framers of the Constitution were inspired by Locke because much of what he says would come to influence the way that America as a sovereign nation would unfold. So for John Locke, the idea of a ruler 
that person is really meant to respect the integrity of people's individual liberties and their property. No sovereign can actually, for John Locke, exist above everyone else like it does for Hobbes. Hobbes thinks that the sovereign is above the law. For Locke, that cannot be the case. Because if the sovereign is above the law, then no one can hold them accountable. They could turn evil and then screw over everybody else. For Locke instead, the sovereign may be held under scrutiny and they may be repeatedly scrutinized. Laws should change and adapt depending on changing social dynamics, changing geographical dynamics, changing climate, whatever. Laws should be adopted to accommodate all of these things and it should come about through the people's perpetual consent, not they're just once and done immediate, oh, we have a ruler now, that's the end of it, as Hobbes suggests. For Locke, it's a much more organic process, one that it opens up more of a dialogue between the people and people in power, rather than there just being this kind of single overarching ruler. And that's pretty much, you know, in a nutshell, the differences. If you want more, check out the episodes I'm doing on both Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. But yeah, whose side are you on? Agree with one more than the other, disagree with both. I'd love to know what you think the shortcomings of either of them are. Uh, and yeah, if you like what I did, like, share, subscribe. If I got anything wrong, let me know. And on that note, take care.